in John chapter 6 this afternoon, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread will not be sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here who hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down, Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sitting down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above that which they had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the scripture and for the record of this great miracle which the Lord did do, and of the blessing which was poured out upon the multitude because of the Lord, and of his great love for the multitude of people that he might provide for them, and that the disciples themselves might know that he was the Christ, the true Son of God. May it also encourage us that we may recognize Jesus, and realize that with him there is no limit to his ability to do that which is good in the sight of God the Father and to fulfill the great plan of redemption on our behalf. And we thank you, Father, that he blessed us with this record. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have, of course, the commonly known as uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, for this morning, uh, excuse me, this afternoon, let me just use the title, Little Was Much with the Lord. Um, There was very little, of course, that um, Jesus would have to work with as far as the world is concerned. Uh, But uh, these very few loaves of bread and these few fish that this young lad had but yet God is able to do great things even 
when there is only a little to do with because God is the one who blesses those things that they are used of Him. Several areas we'll look at this afternoon. Jesus' miracles attracted a great and diverse group of people. Uh, 5,000 plus. Um, The 5,000 was just the uh, adult men in the group. But there were children and there were women and and so we find that uh, there was really more than 5,000. But this was a very great and diverse group of people and they had begun to follow after the Lord wherever he went and uh, were curious to know more about the Lord Jesus. And uh, I suppose, as we might say, um, they wanted to profit by the great miracles that they knew that Jesus could do. And so they did follow him. Secondly, Philip is tested concerning his faith. Uh, as we note in the passage here that, that uh, Jesus already knew what he would do. It's just that he needed to encourage his own disciples. He needed to build up their faith. And he needed to um, uh, do a work within their lives that they might know of the fullness of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus because he is the true and living God and the Messiah which came into the world. Um, I would say that uh, the testing of our faith continues. Like Philip, we are no different. We need to have our our faith tested. And God does things to test our faith. Um, And uh, we might be surprised at times just how wonderfully he can accomplish that very task. Thirdly, Andrew finds a young boy willing to share his lunch. Um, I love this part because um, as Jesus said elsewhere that the faith of a little child was like unto the kingdom of God, like entering into the kingdom of God. And here we have this little boy And um, you can just kind of envision this young lad coming, this young boy coming to the disciples and saying, you can have my lunch if you want to. And uh, here he has these these few loaves of bread and and these these few little fish. And and, uh, the innocent faith of a young child is to just to give up what they have and say, you can have this if you want to. And, and And believe that God is going to do something great with it because God is able to do that. And so I love that little that section there. And then the fourthly, Jesus sanctified the food by prayer. And we are reminded just how significant prayer is for us as believers, that God sanctifies what is brought in his name. And as this little boy brought this food, uh, Jesus took it and he knew just what to do. To, uh, to offer it up as a means of blessing that God may sanctify it to accomplish great things for the glory of God. And then uh, we find lastly, uh, the Lord gathered the remainder that the blessing be not lost. Now this is a very important part of it too, isn't it? That we recognize that God doesn't want to lo- us to lose any part of the blessing. So it is good for us to remember that what God has blessed we should not waste the blessing that God gives to us. We should rather retain it and use it if possible. He doesn't say what the Lord would do with it. Uh, we can just imagine that the, the disciples gathered it all up and carried it away with them. 
and uh, perhaps uh, used it at a later time. Um, but nothing was lost. Jesus maintained that the blessing would be preserved because God gave the blessing. And so this is uh, that section known as the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but for the sake of our own uh, practical view, let us remember that little is much with the Lord. Little was much with the Lord because he was able to take the little of which that this young boy had and bless it into much. Of course, we are reminded, perhaps, if we remember the, the miracle at the wedding at Cana, that there was little there as well. Uh, they ran out of the wine for the marriage feast, and that Jesus uh, was asked to do something about that by his mother, and so Jesus said, fill up the water pots. Uh, we will take the little of water and ask God to sanctify it and bless it, that it may be much to the, to the glory of God. And so we find that in that particular case, Jesus did a great miracle as well. Now, we think these things are, are the greatest of all, and we love to see miracles, as it were, but that is not what saves people that is not even the gospel itself. Uh, doing miracles is not the gospel. No, it is that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he arose again on the third day. Uh, the gospel has to do with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And that is what saves. That is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16 So uh, what were these things for? Uh, they were but to underscore the and to build the faith of those that were called disciples, and especially his own inner group that he uh, was uh, teaching. He was uh, the, Jesus was a a teacher, and his disciples were in school, and they went to class every day to learn that the Messiah of God had come, and that he meant to redeem his people from their sins and that he would accomplish this great plan of redemption through this uh, work uh, which he was to set upon to do uh, to fulfill the will of the Father. And so let us begin here in this uh, chapter in verse 1. And he says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now we know that um, this... Uh, body of water uh, was called uh, not only the Sea of Galilee, but it was called the Sea of Tiberias. And, uh, and Gennesareth, um, we find that these names applied to this particular body of water. Uh, Tiberias was a small city on the shore of, of Galilee, and uh, so it was named by uh, Herod, um, after Tiberius, Caesar of Rome, Tiberius. And so we find that uh, that particular region um, was referred to then uh, where that city was, was called the Sea of Tiberius, as this, this body of water was actually, we might call it a lake. Um, but because it wasn't a sea anyway, I mean, in the sense that we know the seas today, it wasn't an ocean, 
but it was a, bio, a big body of water, and the Jews did refer to it as that. Uh, so we aren't to be confused about the name here, Sea of Galilee, or Sea of Tiberias, both apply, or Sea of Gennesareth um, also applies. And uh, it is thought that Jesus was probably on the end of the, uh, of the body of water and took boat and went across the body of water near the end. Um, meaning that as he was going across on boat, the great multitude went around the, the end of the sea and met up with Jesus on the other uh, shore where he then did land. And um, considering that there were some 5,000 people, um, this was no, no small group of people uh, to, you know, to uh, follow him. Uh, consider then the great multitude that had, had um, kind of attached themselves to the travels of Christ. Um, John the Baptist had perhaps been beheaded by this time, and Jesus and his disciples had become much more well-known in the whole region and the miracles of which Jesus was doing. Uh, this is also re sometimes referred to as the fourth sign miracle. The first perhaps being the, the uh, miracle at Cana, when he turned the water into wine. Um, and then from there we find the other various miracles which Jesus did do, uh, such as the healing of the nobleman's son and uh, the healing of the impotent man. Uh, these various miracles which Jesus did do, and this being the fourth uh, uh, in the kind of the lineup of, of sign miracles, and sign miracles because they did point to his uh, office as being Messiah, that he had come in the fulfillment of prophecy and that he was uh, revealing himself as the true Messiah of God because of the, of the things that he was doing, uh, that this would underscore who he was. And so with these miracles attracted a great and diverse group of people. Um, and so um, how long was it since uh, the last uh, encounter that Jesus had uh, with the impotent man? Probably, it might have been as much as six months before this particular event took place. Um, but we find that Jesus introduces, excuse me, John introduces this here. And uh, so Jesus goes over the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and uh, the multitude follow on shore. Uh, verse 2, and the great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles. Now this uh, gives us the reason why they were following Jesus. They were following him because of the great miracles which he did on those that were diseased. And so we might think of the impotent man and how that he was at the, the, the pool of Bethesda. And uh, no doubt there was a great company of people there. Once one of these events takes place, of course, the, the kind of the news of it began to spread very quickly. And of course, uh, there was no newspapers, telephone, telegraph, or anything. It was just... Um, word of mouth. 
through the multitude of people coming into Jerusalem, going out of Jerusalem, and following the activities of the of the Lord and of His disciples. And uh, as we know, news can travel fast, even in the old world sense. News can travel fast, whether it's by camel or donkey, or as was the custom of kings, they would send out runners uh, throughout the empire to, to which they represented, and they would they would put news out by people uh, running specifically for them and ahead of them. Uh, but this prob- probably here, of course, as we recognize, the multitude carried the the word of Jesus and uh, of his activities, and so they followed him. And uh, as they followed him, um, they looked for more miracles. People are very sensational, are they not? We watch the evening news every night, and David Muir always comes on with breaking news. Every night there's breaking news. It's like, this is the greatest news that there is right now. And uh, he comes on and he announces his lineup, and then he goes ahead and, and seeks to reiterate one by one the various things on the news schedule. Well, uh, as we recognize concerning uh, any new activity by someone who is very popular and, so, and famous, we find that people keep on track of him or her. And so they were doing this with Jesus. They, they, were, they made it a point to, to follow his activities, where he was and what he was doing. And uh, uh, we find that even today this is, uh, this is the case with, among Politicians, for instance, or um, people who are well-known in in public speaking, or they happen to be uh, entertainers or something like this. People know uh, and follow these people quite closely. So Jesus was being followed by the multitude, literally so that they followed him, and no small group of people, by the way. In verse 3, And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And so uh, it was his intention, of course, to be alone for a while. But the multitude did not want to leave him alone. They wanted to know more. Uh, They wanted to see him. And so Jesus, um, uh, getting off his boat, as it were, the, the, the ship he was on, the small boat, as he traveled across the Sea of Galilee, he comes to the other shore and probably goes upon the hillside and as we indicate here, it was a grassy, uh, probably a shepherd's area where sheep would graze or something of that nature. There was grass in the place. And so people felt comfortable in, in being there. Uh, so this miracle, uh, these miracles attracted many people. Um, in, the, in the process of these things, we find that the opportunity came for Jesus to show his disciples uh, more of who he was as uh, the true Son of God and the Messiah in Israel. And uh, John gives us a kind of an addendum here, in a sense. He says in verse 4, And the Passover feast, a feast of the Jews, was near. Now, it's a little bit confusing as to why he put that in. Uh, maybe it is just for us to keep on track of the seasons of celebrations and those things that often attracted people. In other words, if it was truly the Passover season that was near, and John says that it is, 
Perhaps that also is a great reason why there were so many people there in the, in the area at the time. Because there would be many people coming into Jerusalem at that time of the year for the Passover, though it was not yet upon them. Uh, unlike you and I, you know, if we want to go someplace, you know, we can jump on a plane or take a train or jump in a car and within 10 to 24 hours we can be wherever we want to be. Um, but the, in, the mode of travel in this particular day was by donkey and camel and, and boat if you wanted to go across the Sea of Tiberias, um, or you'd have to go on foot. And so it would take longer to get where you wanted to be. And so necessarily then, if the uh, Passover season was near, there would have been a large number of people uh, in the whole region. And indicating to us as well uh, that people were following the seasons and there were many people around and so they, they followed the Lord as well. In verse 5, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And so this takes us to uh, the next point here that Philip is, is tested concerning his faith. Well, the testing of our faith is something that is ongoing, is it not? We find ourselves in uh, many different circumstances where we have to trust God for things. And um, Philip, being one of the disciples... Um, he uh, happens to uh, uh, be the focal point of the Lord's desire to see just how much he would believe that Jesus was capable of handling this situation. And so um, Jesus uh, saw the multitude, um, and Philip being there with, uh, near unto him, um, he questions Philip on this matter. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat, Philip says. And verse 6, and, and this he said to test him, to test Philip. For he knew, he himself knew what he would do. Well, of course, Jesus did know, didn't he? Why wouldn't he know? He is the Son of God. He is the one who was able to do great miracles. He is the one sent of God. And he, realizing that his time was near, was accomplishing every bit the work which he needed to do to um, glorify the Father in heaven uh, until it came to that time when he would have to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Uh, Philip and the other disciples needed to have their faith tested. Uh, it was a test unto Philip, but the other disciples were there as well. You know, sometimes we see some of our members being tested and we might wonder why they are being tested. Is it not also true that we are watching? Even though the Lord chooses a particular person to test, it does not mean that the lesson does not belong to us too. That we are not listening, that we are not seeing, that we are not somehow learning by the test of another. Uh, and so it, it becomes our privilege as Christians to watch the brethren and to fellowship with the brethren and to encounter what they encounter and to pray for them and to learn with them of the things of God. And Philip was, uh, it was his turn 
as it seems. Um, we all take our turn when it comes to testing and, and learning from the Lord. And this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Uh, so um, this, uh, the idea of a denarius here is, uh, was just about a day's wage. Um, I know in some of the uh, coins that I've, I've purchased over the years, um, it, when you buy a denarius from the first century, it's just this little cob of, of metal, and it doesn't have to be silver. Some of them are just copper or bronze or something like that. And they, they're no bigger than a, a nickel at most. And they have an inscription on them uh, in Greek or something, a Roman. And it's just a little hunk of metal. And uh, that's a, that little hunk of metal uh, is a day's work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so um, he says it would take 200 uh, to, to buy something for these people. He didn't say how much it would, it would buy, but to buy something for these people. Um, I don't know, what is a day's wage today? I guess it varies quite a bit, doesn't it? But the minimum wage, I guess, can run anywhere from $7.50 to probably $15 today. It... Uh, a day's uh, a, for an hour's work, um, and uh, you just have to do the math to figure out a day's wage. But um, it varies according to people. But in this part of the world at that time, it was a denarius, the Roman denarius, and so it would take a quite a bit of money. And you can imagine, um, um, Andrew didn't think there was enough of it in, in their coffers to do much. Uh, so. Um, uh, Philip answered him, 200 denarius worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, now, so now Andrew enters into the kind of the fray of things. Uh, the test is for Philip, but Andrew is there as well. And Andrew says, um, there's a little boy over here, and, and he has some loaves and fishes. And he will give it to us that we might feed the multitude. And they probably all kind of chuckled a few times over that one. And uh, figured, oh, this isn't going to do much. What are we going to do with, with this, this um, uh, bread and, and, and fish? These... Um, Five barley loaves and two small fishes. It's kind of like you go to McDonald's and you get a fish sandwich and a couple of slices of bread. And, <laughs> and it'll cost you probably eight dollars. <laughs> well, um, we find this lad had this, had this, uh, this food, his little lunch, so... Andrew finds a young boy willing to share his lunch. Willing to share his lunch. And um, that's, that's pretty great when you stop and think about it. That um, None of the disciples could come up with anything, but a little boy says, Here, you can take my lunch. <laughs> and the innocent faith of a little child. And Jesus recognizes, uh, 
and uses and uses this very thing. He uses the little bit, the little that is given. And that is a good lesson to us. Sometimes we think we need a lot of resources to accomplish God's work. When all he wants is us to take the little that we have, that he might bless it and make it much. Um, and that's, a, that's an important lesson to learn. Now we think about this particular test that Jesus is giving Philip. And these components are all a part of it. Uh, the little boy with his, with his loaves and fishes is a part of the test for Philip. The fact that uh, Andrew said, there is, we don't have enough money. Uh, it, it would take uh, 200 denarius to do anything at all. Um, what are we going to do? The, the disciples had kind of thrown their hands in the air and said, this is, this is impossible. Um, you would think by now that the disciples would realize that Jesus was greater than the circumstances that they were in. And that is one of the lessons that appears that we have to learn over and over again. The disciples were having to do it. They were having to learn that Jesus is greater than the circumstances. Though they had seen miracles at the hand of Jesus times before. Still, they had to learn this lesson over again. And it seems that we have to do the same. We still have to learn the same lessons. God gives us refresher courses on, uh, over and over again. Little refresher courses. Oh, you were pretty good last time when you learned this lesson, but now you've forgotten it. I've got to teach it all over again to you. And so he, he begins to teach these lessons. And perhaps he's kind of like picking out a different disciple every time. Sometimes it's Peter. Sometimes it's Philip. Sometimes it's Andrew. Uh, and he repeats these lessons um, over and over again to his own disciples. And they learn the meaning of what it is to trust in the Son of God. And that's where we are too. We have to learn what it means to trust in the Son of God. And uh, so, uh, um, as Brian takes his little fly tying course there with the children, he's going to get them to learn something about fly tying and maybe trusting God too. That's the idea, isn't it? We use the opportunities that God gives to us that we might teach we might teach others in the in the same uh, process. So that's a good thing. Uh, so Philip is learning something. Andrew is observing something that is going on, and this little lad he becomes an object lesson. He becomes an object lesson. We need to watch God for the object lessons. The object lesson, and uh, and and that's a that's kind of a sometimes that can escape us if we're not really paying attention. But Jesus does have Philip's attention, and he's using Andrew, and now he calls upon this little boy, and he uses him for the object lesson of what it means to trust in God. In verse 10, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. It was kind of a pasture, perhaps for grazing the sheep or goats. So the men sat down, in number, about 5,000. 
Um, so John doesn't omit any of the of the details except to say that there was a lot of people. There was a lot of people in this place, and it was a place which was convenient where they could gather on the hillside with the Lord. Now remember, Jesus is on the hillside with the disciples. We can almost kind of envision these these people uh, coming in a multitude, and they're somehow gathering in an area below where Jesus and the disciples are. And uh, now the disciples have begun to separate them into groups of uh, 50 and hundreds, or, uh, and, uh, and Jesus is going to do something. And they're all watching. All their eyes are fixed on Jesus. So what does Jesus do in verse 11? And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sitting down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So when did the miracle occur? Did it all of a sudden just uh, the place fill up with food? Or did Jesus take those few loaves and begin to break it up and give it to the disciples? Only he didn't run out. It seems that the miracle of Jesus was that as he broke the bread, the bread did not want. That is, it continued to be there for him to break up. You might remember in the Old Testament how that the pot of oil that the prophet wanted the old woman to make a cake for him with a little, a little meal and a little oil, it did not run out until the proper time. God allowed it to remain even as she used it. And so the miracle of God is that He allows us to use the little we have and trust in Him. And though it remains a little while we're using it, the blessing of it becomes much more than we expect. But in the hand of God Himself, there is no limit to the provision. So the bread did not run out, and the fishes were remained uh, to the moment as much as was needed, as it says here, as much as would, as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments. And so uh, Jesus sanctified the food by prayer. We should always remember to do that, is to sanctify the food by prayer, because sanctifying it means that we ask God to bless it. So even the Son of God did not forget to do the very thing which seems so basic in our appreciation of food and clothing and shelter and the necessities of life. And, and uh, this, is the, this is the Son of God himself. Uh, one would think, well, why does the Son of God need to thank God? Since he is God but that it is that he must fulfill all righteousness. Remember, that's what he said to the Baptist, wasn't it, when he went to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John kind of protested a little bit. He said, well, I think I need to be baptized of you instead of me baptizing you, uh, Jesus. And he says, no, we must fulfill all righteousness. 
I must do these things, it is the right thing to do. And uh, these, these are the right things to do. To thank God for the little. To ask Him to bless it that it might be sanctified for His, for His glory. And so Jesus did that. And then, as He distributed unto all, and they all received what was needed, there was much left over. And uh, we might be a little bit confused about this uh, leftover amount. You would say, well, why didn't God just make enough rather than having over? Well, because, well, maybe we have leftovers and we think we should throw them out. <laughs> when in reality, if, God, if we ask God to bless our meal and there's some left over, why should we discard it? <laughs> we should be frugal enough to... I'll say, well, God blessed us with it. I guess we better keep it and use it. And, uh, of course, we aren't told what the Lord did with those baskets full that was left over. But we can imagine that he said to the disciples, gather them up, and so um, let's carry them away. Let us take them with us. We have yet a long journey to go before we get to Jerusalem. And you and I, we have a long journey to go before we get to heaven. Why should we waste the things that God gives to us? Why shouldn't we keep them and use them and distribute to others and to honor the Lord with what he has given to us? Many practical thoughts can come out of these kinds of things as we consider um, the Lord's use of them. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost, that the blessing be not lost. And so that's kind of an interesting thought. We don't want to lose the blessing that we've asked the Lord to give us. And so we need to be good stewards of what he has put in our hands. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above that which they had eaten. Now he doesn't say anything about the fish. Uh, they must have went first. Good meat eaters, you know. <laughs> but the bread, uh, there was a little bit of bread left over and uh, they couldn't quite choke that down. <laughs> and so he gathered that all up and he said we will take that with us and we will use it then those men when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did said this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world now what can we take away from this well certainly Jesus had this testimony to those people around him there's no question about that they saw the miracle. They saw uh, what was accomplished. They did eat and enjoyed the bread. And uh, by way of application, if God would bless us, we cannot afford to um, somehow waste the miracle or the witness that God gives to us. In other words, put it this way. As Christians, when, when we are going about our walk of faith for the Lord, and the Lord blesses us with something, 
And he has given us an overabundance of that something. Uh, Isn't it important that we have a testimony to say something about the Lord? Now, the testimony here was that the men, and the word for men here means men. It doesn't mean mankind. It means actually men. This is where the idea comes in that there were 5,000 men, plus women and children. And um, also that, that these people, these men, they recognized Jesus was the Messiah. So the question is, when we demonstrate... Um, the witness of God to others, is there any lack concerning our witness for Jesus? Or is, it be, or is it most obvious, just like it was to these men? It was most obvious to these men that this, yes, this is Jesus. Is it most obvious to the people around us saying, yes, these are Christians. Yes, these are believers. Yes, these are those who truly do love the Lord. Their lives are ordered just like the disciples, just like Jesus has said. And so it should be just as obvious to the people around us who we are, just as it was just as obvious to the people around Jesus who he was. Little is much with the Lord. And... um, you know, maybe, maybe you have had similar things said to you like, um, how do you get by on so little? Or, you know, something to the effect that you, you don't make a lot of money in your job that you're doing and how do you buy your house and your car and, and still have your payments paid and, and your bills taken care of and you seem to have clothing and everything? In other words, there should be some kind of a testimony that we're making to the world around us that says we, even though we as believers don't have the same as many in the world, God is blessing us. We have a testimony for the Lord. And not, not just in what we say in the Bible, but what we live out from the Bible. And I think that's important. I think that's important. And that seems to be part of the test that, no doubt, that uh, was for Philip and, and spilled over to Andrew and no doubt to the other disciples and then spilled out to the whole multitude of people that were there. Everybody was uh, looking and learning from what was taking place. And so we should be able to say that too about our lives. Everybody is looking and learning about what's taking place in our lives too. Little is much with the Lord. Shall we pray?